0: Aliens and flying saucers Hey, welcome to the 51st episode of Two Writers Sling and Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the great MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today, my guest is Candace Buckner, the Washington Wizards B-Writer for the Washington Post. And Candace, well, she's a fascinating journalist whose features are sharp and edgy, whose game stories are fast-paced and original, and whose occasional opinion pieces, I mean, they're just really powerful and eye-opening. Today Candace and I go deep into a wide range of subjects, from Gabby Douglas's hair to rooting for African American tennis players to life in the wizards locker room. So get ready for a great ride with Candace Buckner right now on Two Riders Slinging Yank. All right, Candace, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, I want to start, you know, it's funny, I always ask guests, or I generally ask guests to send in stories uh, that they've written, and you send me a bunch, and I'm gonna ignore all of them for a minute. And, uh, um, you have a story you wrote just the other day, It ran May 16th, so I guess that's two days ago. Uh, Marcus Smart was born with his hands dirty and he'll do anything to help the the Celtics win. Uh, this is a piece about Marcus Smart of the, uh, Boston Celtics. You've been covering the, uh, Eastern conference finals between the, the Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I start reading this story and I think, Oh, this is a, this is a pretty good. Yeah. You know, Whatever, these stories come and go. You know, your lead is Marcus Smart doesn't care about the effect the hard word can have on human flesh. He plays with the abandon of a hair-on-fire stuntman for the Boston Celtics, diving and crashing to the floor while pursuing a loose ball. His bandaged right wrist should serve as a reminder of decent surgery, but that does not seem to cross Smart's mind when he belly flops onto the leather shoes of the Cleveland Cavalier coaches. And I'm reading it, and I'm thinking this is a good story about a gutsy and hard-nosed player But then I get to this point in the story where this instinct to protect has been Smart's DNA since childhood. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where did this come from, (laughs) right? The youngest of four boys, he lost his older brother, Todd, to leukemia. What? When Smart was not... Okay. And you take this story that's just like a profile of a guy and you go in a totally different direction. And I think it takes an ordinary story... But I think it takes an ordinary story and makes it really, really good. How did this even happen? I'm fascinated how this even happened.
1: All right. Well, first, I should say I'm not laughing at the part of yeah, him I got it. losing his brother. It's just it, that was such a hard left turn, and that was a weak transition on my part. So I'm laughing out of embarrassment. But okay, so um <laughs> I'm covering the Eastern Conference Finals. My colleague, Tim Bontemps. Who's our NBA reporter, national NBA reporter. He's doing the Western Conference Finals. And we're trying to do something different in that these stories are not. okay. so that game was Tuesday. So these stories will not be in the Wednesday paper. And it's not a game story. I'm not I'm not there to write about the game, but some like some element in the game. Um, I think my strength is in storytelling or I like to believe and convince myself that my strength is in like people and and trying to do a profile. So my attempt at a game feature is um, a, is a person. In that instance, I wasn't going to focus on Brad Stevens, but he, Marcus Smart, had a couple great plays in the third quarter and fourth quarter, and that's when the team won. And I was like, okay, let's just focus on him. However, in these playoffs, the access, post-game access sucks, at least in my opinion. Um, right. If you're a star of the game, you go to the podium. And Mark was going to the podium. And yeah, I could have asked some questions there, but it's just so limited. Everybody hears your questions anyway. And inside the Boston Celtics locker room, I really do appreciate the access and them giving me a credential. But I feel like they are trying to create a horde mentality. Like, we're going to bring this guy to the front and all you guys jump on this guy at this time. That's I I hate that. So I left the locker room and I know where the family room is. I was looking at name tags. Say like I'm a guest of Marcus Smart or something like that, or somebody that looks like Marcus Smart, and <laughs> I didn't find anybody there, so I went outside to the arena, the lower bowl, and I know that's where. Uh, when you're not really in the family room, you're waiting for your people outside, and and the right. guys come outside, and so I saw three white people in 36 jerseys. It's like okay, that's just not a coincidence. Um, nice. Obviously, Marcus Smart is a, is a black guy. Um, so I, I waved him down and they started speaking in a very thick Southern draw. And they started telling me all this, these stories about Marcus Smart and how they their connection with Marcus Smart. And, oh, you should know his background. He just has a tough and gritty uh, background. And so they grew up watching him as a freshman and all that good stuff. So I say, like, OK, I got a little bit there. And um, after Marcus's uh, podium game, he walked out to do an interview with Scott Van Pelt on the court. Mm -hmm. And the court's clear. He's with the he's with one of the PR guys and just the nicest dude. I'm out there just kind of stalking, just kind of waiting for that interview, that live shot to go to to be finished. And I kind of just zero in. And the PR guy's like, no, no, he's done. But Marcus is like, hey, how are you doing? And he extends his hand. I extend my hand and I tell him, hey, I'm Candace Buckner from The Washington Post. Can I just ask you a few questions? Um, and, and clearly I think at this point, Marcus knows, I don't know if he's ever had a quote podium game before, but you get a lot of attention. And mm-hmm. I think he understood this is going to be an easy breezy, probably softball type of question. I'm here to build him up. Essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be a cheerleader, but in that moment, I'm just here to ask you the easiest questions in which you can knock them out the park. And so he agreed to a walk and talk. And he, and then he stopped and gave me like a pretty good two minutes, unfortunately, like an idiot. Um, first 30 seconds, I wasn't recording. And basically he brought up something in the, in the podium game about, you know, if you're going to be a bully, I don't like bullies, blah, blah, blah. And I think I asked him, you know, about being bullied. And so he went on the story about, uh, his brother, which has been reported a lot. I, I just wanted to try to do something a little bit different and show Marcus Smart. Uh, I guess to show the why to why he's so gritty and why he's like he's the one who does not care about crashing into um, a sideline with, you know, a surgically repaired broken thumb, um, because that's just it's his instinct to protect. Um, it's his instinct to be tough and gritty. But in, I guess in that in that little weak transition, he, um, I was I was writing before about how he he immediately made a beeline to J.R. Smith after J.R. Smith gave his teammate, Al Mm Harford, a two-hand shove. So it was a very – I I do believe it was a very clumsy transition, but I I just wanted to get into the why of the Marcus Smart and, you know, try to use my press pass just for something more than just, well, the Boston Celtics had a –
0: Don't you think those transitions are – they're almost impossible because, like, you could have had, like, he's a cancer on the team. And speaking of cancer, you know, like, there's no (laughs) – There's no winning transition going from basketball. See, that's the interesting thing, I think. Like, it's a complicated thing because his brother dying of leukemia when he was nine years old. Like, it is a loose connection. Like, you're talking about a basketball game. He's a tough guy, blah, blah, blah. And one of the reasons he's tough is because he lost his his brother. And I'm writing this column. I only have a thousand words, so I can get into it, but I can't get super into it. And you, you actually pulled it off. And I think I failed at this more than I succeed because I think a lot of times it's very easy to sound like you're just trying to make something work on the quick. And somehow you made it work on the quick. I don't even know how you quite did it. I thought it actually worked really well.
1: I, I had some other stuff from the high school that maybe I could have went to, but he brought up, you know, um, you know, being the youngest of four boys and crying. Like I didn't even ask him like all that deep stuff. Like he gave me these, these quotes about him crying himself to sleep and how his, his people said, you know, you are our last hope. Like, okay, this is pretty dramatic, Marcus. So he wanted to talk about this. And I, I, I just wanted to, um, you know, pay it respect, pay his story respect and not try to, you know, use it as a ploy, but it tried to use it as, as an explanation.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. You sent me an article from the, uh, when you were the Indianapolis Star, where you were before you went to the Post. Uh, and it was about, about Monta Ellis. The headline is Monta Ellis colon, Basqua was my escape. I really didn't have a childhood. I feel like these stories have the potential to be a dime a dozen because they are a dime a dozen um, they are. oftentimes, which is here's this kid and he grew up in a tough environment and now he's playing pro basketball and he makes a lot of money. And I remember the time I remember growing up with, sh- you know, holes in my shoes or patches in my knees. And now look at me, I'm great. And <laughs> this story was insanely good, like insanely good. And oh. and uh I just want to read the lead real quick. You wrote, um, it's a chilly Saturday morning, but inside the Ellis residence, it feels warm and welcoming uh, because Juanica Ellis is the one who answers the door. She invites a stranger in and spreads her arms for a hug. Montage Wanika Ellis' little girl, Mila, is still in pajamas and filling with an iPad. Wanika gets a four-year-old to look up long enough to say hello and now offers coffee or bottled water. Wanika seems to be stalling, the man of the house, the Pacers' biggest off-season acquisition, and the subject of the story is somewhere inside this 15,000-square-foot lakefront mansion on Indianapolis' far north side and he's taking his time. Mm-hmm, are the first mutterings from Monta Ellis. And then you have him, he shuffles in, wearing a tank top, long shorts and socks. You make this profile of this guy who loves fishing, and you almost use fishing as sort of this metaphor for his life and kind of who he is. And I thought, again, Monta Ellis's story in, in the sort of abstract uh, is not unique. The NBA, oh. NFL, Major League Baseball, is full of guys from rough backgrounds. How would you go about this one, and and even how did you decide to sort of use that approach with it?
1: Once I finally got to his house, like I had a story. That, it, it was hard, and um, the and I guess the one thing the very very early on, and when I say it seems warm and, and and inviting, because Juanica Ellis is the one opening the door. Monte Ellis is a code off. Not he's just he's to himself. He does not like the media. He's had some. Um, you ask Dallas Mavericks teammates, he may, he, he, he didn't really get along with them. So he's just this dude who kind of stays to himself and he's, he's, he's about, he's about Monte, Monte's about Monte. So I, it was difficult to even get in the door and, uh, do this story. But I went through, um, I think his agent and then made contact with the, with the wife. And that was how I got in. And like, he adores his wife, adores his family. And that was the end. And so I didn't have a story until I finally got you know him to agree to an interview one hour. And he was he was set on this one hour in his home. And when I guess I guess when I finally got that scene, when I'm walking into to the door and he's a, he's in his house and he's um, kind of casually talking about how he wants to go out fishing, because um, on this cold day, all the fish rises to the top and I, something that I do not understand because I'm not an angler but Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, boom, maybe I have something there. Um, and I, I don't know how I wrote in the dang story, but I could use him opening up his life and being a little bit more revealing or him trying to, uh, trying to be a little bit, (laughs) a little bit better to people. And I guess just opening up after, you know, so many years of being closed off.
0: It's really interesting because, um, You easily could have written this – like, I remember I did a story on Iverson, Alan Iverson, years ago for Sports Illustrated. And he was – he could not have been a bigger asshole to me. Like, he couldn't Mm -hmm. have been less helpful. He couldn't have been less cooperative. And my mindset at first was sort of, fuck this guy. I'm going to write this story about my time with Alan Iverson what a jerk he is. And I feel like that would have been a really lazy, self-indulgent move because there's a reason Ellis is this way. Like, there's a reason he's guarded and there's a reason he's quiet. And it seems like the job is to figure that out, no? Isn't that kind right. of what we're here
1: for? Precisely, precisely. Um, and I guess that, that whole argument of, you know, having empathy, I can fake like I have empathy, but I've never had my brother wig out on some um, really uh, jaded drugs like yeah. uh, like he had. So um, I can't put myself in this position of this very tough childhood or why – uh, like maybe who, who burned him very early on in his career. I don't know. I don't know because I haven't been there, but I'm, I try, I want to understand. And that kind of goes back with the Marcus Smart. I want to understand these people. And I think that's what makes our job fun. And that's what makes, um, our jobs, I want to say, you know, super important. But if I'm a fan, I want to know about these guys and these, uh, these women that I, I root for. I want to know something a little bit more about their lives off the court and kind of, Understand them the best
0: I can. I'm gonna throw a weird one at you. (laughs) I would say in my in my time covering pro sports, the bond between African African American male athletes and their mothers is Mm -hmm. the strongest bond I've ever seen in sports. I feel like that mother son bond is insanely strong. And I wonder if you, as an African American woman, uh, interviewing young African American men, if they ever if, if they are more willing to sort of, do you think talk about that bond or maybe in seeing you sort of, you know, I mean, you'd fan of diversity in the newsroom. I think it's important right. in a million different ways. And I think part of it is because you can go into different situations and reflect the subjects that you're covering. And I wonder if you think there's anything to that, anything to the sort of a certain something they see in you as much as you see in them.
1: Man, that's a good question. When I first started beat reporting, Uh, in nba and this is something i've always wanted to do but i started super late and this is only like my sixth year doing it i was told that hey you're going to be able to get better access uh, different stories ask them um other questions just because a lot of athletes in the nba locker room who have have been who've been raised by a single black mother Mm -hmm. now and initially initially um i thought you know that's that's a good way that's my good end. I would say, Jeff, to be honest, I don't know if it's um, a different if it's a generational thing, but I have felt sometimes more often um, that I've been viewed just like anybody else. A lot of the athletes just see us as media and maybe that just comes with time. And I I, I just wrapped up my second year in the Wizards locker room, but I, I wanted that to be something that I can use as a benefit. I'm not sure if that has been something that's been um, on the minds of the athletes that I cover.
0: I wonder in a way if the increase in diversity is still obviously a long way to go. uh, Right. Has almost made like it's slightly less unique and you've just been grouped in with all the other schlubs.
1: You know, I, I would hate, I would, I would hate (laughs) for that to be the case and I'm not trying to act like anybody else. Um, Yeah. I, I totally do try to just act like myself and be professional in there. But I just I, it's sometimes I, I have thought about this during the year. And like, listen, like you're 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 talking to people who understand you culturally. And for one player, um, we're from the same hometown. So and, and that in and, and which I cover. And who is that? Bradley Bill, St. Oh. Louis, Missouri. I okay. mean, and St. Louis is so freaking small that we don't ha- even have six degrees. It's three degrees. My first cousin won a state championship with Bradley Bill. But, and I, I was thinking like, okay, we have something in common. Well, I don't know about that because Br- Bradley, Bradley's just a, um, Bradley's, a, Bradley's a private dude and very, very professional. Very, he's been good to me, but have I, have I gotten to the point where I feel like he trusts me more? Then um, anybody else put in a, a microphone or notepad in his face? I'm
0: not sure. Before we continue with Two Riders and Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my beautiful daughter, Casey. So, Casey, I have some exciting news for you. What is it? Because 503 Sports sponsors this podcast and because they make special throwback Portland State baseball uniforms, I've decided, in the name of support, that you'll be attending Portland State for college
1: I want to go to Stanford.
0: It's too expensive.
1: I want to go to UCLA.
0: It's definitely too close to home.
1: I don't want to go to Maine.
0: Ah, good news, this Portland State is in Oregon.
1: Dad, seriously, I'm not attending Portland State. No chance.
0: Ugh, fine. How about you just wear the jersey and we'll tell everyone you go there?
1: Will you give me the car when I'm 16?
0: Uh, okay, deal.
1: Go Vikings!
0: This is the stuff I have to deal with. But that's okay, because 503 Sports has it all. Not just Portland State, we're talking USFL, we're talking World Football League, we're talking XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey. Or, put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Dan Minuti Arizona Wranglers jersey, well, dreams come true. The merch at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like Casey Perlman and go to 503-sports.com and type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your next purchase. What separates a good beat writer from the great beat writer?
1: Um, okay, a lot, of, a lot of what I've picked up as far as uh, beat beat writing, I, I think I learned in, in Portland in my very first year. And a good beat reporter does, um, you know, takes 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 care of those access points. You know, if the locker room is open seventy five minutes before the game. You're in the locker room just to, uh, you know, what I like to call beat maintenance. Say hello to a guy. Uh, you know, shoot the breeze a bit, blah, blah, blah. A great beat reporter. And, you know, I, I kind of always, I, I, hope I, I hope, um, Jason Quick knows that how, how much I've, I've stole from him. Um, but I remember, um, Lamarcus Aldridge was in that locker room and it was Damian, Damian Lillard's first year. He would be on the outside of the horde and Lamarcus talked once. But when the horde left, um, Jason Quick would, nuzzle up, lean next to this locker and, and, and almost, I hate, I don't want to use this term. I'm probably using the wrong term, but hat in his hand, but he was just so humble. And he made himself so small to be able to make, I guess, LaMarcus um comfortable. And I, and, and that's one thing that I, I I'm still learning. We have to be so humble. um When we cover these guys, because we do get rejected and because um, they do give you crap answers and it's all about them. And we have to pretend that, you know, the world revolves about around them. And I just appreciated watching Jason Quick um, be able to do his job. Away from the horde, he never got stuff in the horde. When you read his stories, he didn't have quotes that Lamarcus gave us in the horde. It was mm-hmm. when he nuzzled up at the end and had these very hushed conversations and the PR guy was standing there, um, you know, in a very passive aggressive way to, you know, get him to move on. Mm-hmm. But Jason stood there, got his information. And I guess that comes with, you know, time and, and building relationships. But to me, that's, that's a great beat reporter.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you something I struggle with is, um, so a couple of years ago, I was supposed to do a Jimmer Fredette profile for Bleacher Report. Ooh,
1: fun. Yeah, you know, I don't want to <laughs> brag, but,
0: uh, and, um, <laughs> I, uh. I had it arranged that I would meet. Here's was with the Pelicans. I would I was in LA and they were coming to LA and I would meet Jimmer when they came from the airport and we'd sit in the hotel lobby and I get a text from the PR guy for the Pelicans and he said, I think he said, Jimmer can give you 10 minutes. Yeah. And I wrote back, I swear to God, I had this moment, Candace, where I was like, I think I was 43. I wrote him back. I was like, you know what? I'm 43 years old. I've been doing this for so-and-so years. I'm 17 years older than Jimmer for that. Don't worry about it. I'm not doing it. I reached a point where I was like, "Why? It sounds dumb. Why is Jimmer Fredette's time?" I mean, I guess I needed his time, so maybe that's why it's more important. But I wonder, like, here you are—you are this great writer, and
1: you are accomplished.
0: No, I mean it. And you are accomplished, and you've had this great career, and you're waiting by John Wall's locker, hoping he throws you five minutes of time. Are you ever like seriously? Are you ever like? Do you ever just feel like being like? Are you kidding me? Are you really, really? <laughs> Don't you ever have those moments, or never?
1: All the time. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but, but first, um, Jeff, I'm curious. Did you end up writing that Jimmer story?
0: Nope, I walked away. From All right,
1: it. that's a that's a position of power I want to get to. And <laughs> and actually, I think you're you're saying that you you're the great dude. You're the great writer. Nah, Who nah. the is Jim Jimmer for dead? To give you ten minutes. But I, oh, yeah. I heard like he's a nice dude but I don't know if yeah a I'm sure guy. he
0: is the thing is I'm sure he is and it could have easily been the PR guy being like oh that yeah, Jim was yeah, yeah, tired yeah. it just infuriated me you know but
1: as far as like, there there's some okay so there's 15 guys in the locker room um John wall is terribly important to what I do in my in my beat and thankfully he's the best talker Bradley bill is incredibly important to what I do and thankfully he's a great talker right but i I'll, I'll say this if you're like Guy number 12, guy number 11, and I, I can, I can give you, uh, you know, a a throw in a blog or a story because you, you, you didn't screw up and do, in your little stint, um, in the game. And if you want to like, oh, I got to dress first before you talk to me, or you want to make me wait. I did, I did do this once in Minneapolis. Um, like I just, I'm on deadline and it's not because of ego. It's just, bruh. I'm trying to and listen, you got I got your you know, I know you do doing your job or whatnot, but you're sitting at your locker on your phone. And you look up <laughs> at me and say, uh, can I get dressed? I don't have a camera. I, I've been covering you for one plus years. You know, give me that respect. But, you know, if you're not going to do that, then listen, I got that line. And if you want to play those little ego games, then I'll, I'll let you play that game and I'll just won't won't quote you. And that's you know I, I don't think they care at all. But yeah, my my time is very valuable. I'm trying to I'm trying to not make the copy desk mad. And so and you know, at, I guess at a certain age, yeah, I'm 38. These are all younger men, and you're like, come on, what am I doing? What right. what life decisions have I made that I'm I'm waiting on half naked men to uh to dress so they can give me cliches?
0: Wait, what's your what's your number one moment in your career top of your head? where you're like I feel like we all have these you're like what the hell am I doing with my life how did I reach this point in my life
1: um it was my first <laughs> my first year covering the pacers so my first year covering the pacers they were on top of the eastern conference like all year long they were number 1 um they were zooming beating great teams boom the year the calendar turns and something starts happening clearly um, they're losing and clearly something's behind it. So all these rumors stop, pop up on Twitter and social media that th- player X, um, had a, a relationship with player Y's Beyonce. So that stuff is popping up. And I didn't ask about that, but when player X, and I just, Paul George, Paul George, and he, he went on the record about it, but Paul George got catfished apparently. And I have to, and it's right before a game in Chicago. It's a shoot around and thank God. Brian Windhorst was there too. But you kind of, you toss him a few. Oh, so uh, facing the Bulls today, you know, <laughs> how's that defensive assignment? And then you, you you toss a few more and then like, so Paul, and you have to ask about these inappropriate pitchers online. And I think he knew it was coming. And, and Paul George is, um, you know, people will tell you he's, he's a pretty good, he's he's pretty good with us. But you have to ask a very uncomfortable question about being catfished or allegedly catfished and in inappropriate pictures of yourself on 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 the me on on the social media, and you're but thinking like Candace, like yo, like you went to college right. to ask this dude about some pic that's, right. that's floating around on Twitter, but he was cool about it. and He blamed the media, and so yeah, that's that's he gave that's. That's all they do. When all those folks Every friendly. time I'd be
0: paying my student loan bill, I'd be thinking, damn it. <laughs> Frickin' <laughs> damn it. what the hell? <laughs> I uh, I don't want to brag, but I once, uh, when I was at Sports Illustrated, I once had to ask, I had to go into the Yan- Yankee locker room and ask Derek Jeter whether he was still dating Mariah Carey. And oh. I literally, I literally went up to him and said, my name's Jeff Roman. I write for Sports Illustrated. I am being told to ask you this because my editor said, I have to ask you this. I apologize. It's a total cop out, but I I felt, (laughs) but you know what though, at the same time, I cover baseball all the time and you have a reputation that goes far, far beyond a Mariah Carey question and I didn't want to throw out, you know what I mean? I didn't want to throw out my reputation, not that it was so great, but I didn't want to lose it on some stupid TMZ type question,
1: you know? Yeah. And I think I might've asked like, Hey, it's out there. I don't know. Brian asked it first or I did, but. it it just kind of softened the blow. And I think it was like, it's out there, you know? And I, and I think the question was posed, how do you concentrate with all this going on? And I think, so that's valid. And you kind of get into the details, but
0: yeah, those, those, those are the worst. Yeah. It's not so great. You wrote a column that I am sad that I missed last year because, um, so I'm the, I was the editor of the best American sports writing for this year. And I did not see this column and I just read it yesterday. And I feel like if I'd seen it, this thing would have been strong, strong consideration. What? It's um oh it's so good. It's uh I like watching black women do cool stuff on TV. This week that makes me a tennis fan. September sixth, twenty seventeen. And you wrote about, you know, Venus Williams was playing and Sloan Stevens were playing each other. You had a line I just loved. You wrote, um, I like seeing Venus, her hair natural like mine, thick and bundled under her brightly colored visor, and Sloan, who far her forearm's defined, unfortunately way more chiseled than mine, and covered by an endless canvas of beautiful mocha. I understand how this sounds, describing the physical appearance of women before mentioning their stellar achievements, like Venus's seven Grand Slam titles or Sloane's three semifinal appearances this summer. Also, I can already hear the all-tennis players matter crowd complaining <laughs> that I shouldn't be so caught up in race, but I unabashedly root for representation of role models, knowing there are many girls with Venus's type hair and Sloan's dark complexion that don't always see positive images of themselves on television. But Thursday, they will. And as I was reading this column, I was thinking two things. Number one, when I was a kid. I rooted for Jewish athletes all the time, right. all the time. My favorite athletes, if I found out someone was Jewish, that guy <laughs> was my guy because there were so few of us and blah, blah, blah. And nobody has ever given me shit for liking Jewish athletes. Was there any sort of blowback to this column or were people just like right on, great column?
1: Yeah, there was. And that, that kind of surprised me because I, I mean, listen, I'm from the Midwest and I understood Indianapolis and Indiana is a red state. So if I were to wrote something like that when I was an Indianapolis star, I would have expected, it. but um, I I did get the blowback. And I put that line in there, the all tennis players matter line, which made me chuckle. Yeah. So I put it in there. But all the, when you want to co-op like a movement, like black lives matter and they say, no, no, all lives all matter. Lives like, matter. Listen, I get that all lives matter. However, all your lives are not being threatened every single day. In this um, society that we live in, I'm sorry not to get angry, but absolutely. And I was like, listen, I don't you guys get it that there are not a lot of positive, impactful uh, representation of people of color on television. And that's get that has gotten better in my lifetime. But I remember, shoot, my dad, he started watching the news as a kid because Julius Hunter, a black man, was the first black face that he saw on television. And so and knowing how impactful that was for my dad and, you know, me growing up and I had to, you know, find role models and freaking Zach Morris. I thought it was Zach Morris for a while because he was just so cool because Lisa Turtle didn't get to do the cool stuff. <laughs> so I really like who I like, I like seeing us doing all the cool stuff that I grew up watching and, and all these heroes that I made out of these television characters, but they look like me. And, mm-hmm. and for people to like say that was racism, I mean, listen, you don't understand racism, but. I was I was surprised, but I did get blowback.
0: And you also—I mean, you wrote a—I uh, can't say a similar column, but similarly, sort it was of similar, hardcore <laughs> on Gabby <laughs> Douglas's hair. Black women, why I we care, hair, and why we should. I love
1: hair, Jeff. I can't
0: help it. I love hair. I just want to say, I have a—I um, have my uh, my nephews are biracial, and my nephew Isaiah has the greatest Afro in the history of mankind. And all I want him to do is shave it off and glue it to my head. <laughs> and I'd be the happiest man. But beyond that, I thought it was a really, it was a smart column. It was a really interesting column. Again, to me, diversity in voice is so important because I couldn't have written this. There's no way I could have written a smart column about black women's hair concerns and related it to Gabby Douglas. Impossible. Why'd you write the column, the Gabby column, and were you as surprised with the blowback from this one as you were with the Serena?
1: Okay, so... Um I do appreciate you acknowledging you know different voices in the in in the um in the newsroom and why you couldn't have written that, but to me, that story is everywhere because and on the people that I follow, social media, my family blah 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 black twitter quote unquote that story is huge everyone's talking about her edges and um you know for listeners who may not know that's just your hairline, especially for mm-hmm. a woman if they're if they're kinky and they're not flat and they're not laying down like baby hair, then, oh, snap, you got to get your edges fixed. Or right. the back of your hair is called the kitchen. And if those little curly coils pop up, it's like, oh, your hair's not done. That's like a sign that your hair's not done. And in our culture, um, you have to have your hair laid, slayed, killed for like people to give you respect. But that's Unfortunately, um, that's just something that's been popping up in our, and that's just something that's prevalent in, our, in, in my culture. So I felt like that story has, it's, it was everywhere to me. And I just wanted to, you know, you know, add my two cents. And thankfully the Washington Post and, you know, you know, much kudos to my editor, Matt Vita, who was basically saying, you know, if you have perspectives that you want to share, please share it. And uh, I mean, of course, Matt, Matthew Vita is a Caucasian man and he's just, a, he just allows me to write what I want to write. And this week I wrote about Jason Tatum's hairline. And to me, oh, yeah, every time, every time I'm on Twitter, everybody's like, you saying, yo, this dude's got the crispiest hairline. And that's just the pe- because of the people that I follow. So I guess I'm in this echo chamber where it's big. But when after I wrote it, there were so many, um, and there, that's a great media group, uh, the Boston Celtics, but there's so many of their, um, of their, um, home reporters like, huh, I didn't know it was a big deal. Well, right. yes, it's not a big deal in your community, but. In another community that had, should have a voice that is out there, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting deal.
0: Wait, your lead. I just want to say was uh, I'm obsessed with my hair, which is actually great, <laughs> like simple and perfect. Like once I cracked eggshells over my head as a do-it-yourself <laughs> organic conditioner. In the nightly battle of sleep versus discomfort, hair wins as I contort my neck to protect my twist out. I spend so much time in a styler seat. I should start getting my mail forwarded there. I care too much about my hair and I'm not the only one. And what I thought was actually really good about this is it's only a sports column because Gabby Douglas was involved. Like right. it appears in the sports section of the Washington Post. Gabby Douglas's name is in the headline and it has almost <coughs> nothing to do with sports in many ways, which is great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, I, again, I, I may get typecast. This as the hair reporter, but I, I just felt that was, and I think I, I got better feedback off of the Gabby Douglas and I did um watching black women uh, do cool
0: stuff on television column. But well, I was wondering about saying you, uh the Washington wizards in many ways, they're kind of a predictable story a little bit. I would say we knew entering this season, they were not going to compete for the NBA title. You can make the argument maybe for the Eastern conference, but they weren't going to compete for the, we knew the year before right. they weren't going to compete for the NBA title. We knew the year before that they weren't again. They're always going to be this team that wins 40 something games and maybe comes in anywhere between third and seventh in the conference and, or misses a play, you know, And I wonder, like, as a, as a writer, like, I had the Padres MLB.com beat writer on last week, Mm -hmm. and that guy hasn't, has not covered a winning team, literally hasn't covered a winning team. I wonder, you cover winning teams, but they just don't win enough, um, to, and I don't does it, are you bored? Does it all get boring covering sort of results that you know, you know, entering a season, the Wizards are not winning the NBA title. Does that get boring?
1: No, um, I'm not bored by that, but, but. But I think 28 other, um, you know, main beat reporters of the other teams, you know, you you could say the same thing for them because everybody knows the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to end up in the finals. And maybe, I don't know, the Boston Celtics will will actually pull this off and have a 2-0 lead. Maybe that will change. But you know that the team that you cover, there's, there's three legitimate teams with a chance to, to make it to the finals. So, I think my story going, coming into the season was, you know, the Wizards pursuit for something that they haven't done in over 38 years. And that's 50, 50 wins and get to a conference finals. So when that became clear that that's not going to happen. Um, I guess the other storyline for the season just turned into, um, John Wall's health and Bradley Bill's development into an all star. So I, I wasn't bored knowing that, you know, they're not going to compete for a championship, but, um, I just feel like, yeah, like everybody, like the NBA right now, everybody knows, except unless you're on the Warriors beat, you're not going to cover a contending team. So try to find something else that is at least pertinent to your beat and your fan base.
0: Right. Do you still get excited going to NBA games? Like, does it still do something for you walking into an arena, sitting at your seat, watching whoever play whatever? Does it still do something for you?
1: Yeah, especially if I, if I take the time to say like, yo, Candace, you're doing something that you know, you've always wanted to do. So sometimes I do have to take the, I have to take a moment and just realize that you could have been covering Blue Valley North high school, uh, swimming right about now. Um, and I've been a high school sports reporter longer than I've done anything else in my career still at this point. So be grateful that you're in this position. I really do feel blessed and to, to be at the, the paper that I'm at, the media outlet that I'm at and covering the one league that I love the most. Uh, yeah, sometimes I do, I, I, I need to take the time out and just say, you know, thank you and just be a little bit more grateful and just have a smile on my face. But sometimes, you know, when I walk in, it's like, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta ask God Brooks that I gotta make this. And sometimes I'm running late because of traffic. Right. So your focus is, is high and you're, you're, you're go, 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 go. But sometimes, yeah, when, when I do take the time to be, um, to be grateful and realize, you know, this is a great position
0: then yeah i still love it i just want to say candace a couple of years ago i asked the orange county register out here if i could cover a high school game just to go back to my roots because i had not covered a high school sporting event in years and i covered a uh high school football game they were like do you want a really good game i was like i could care less i just want to go to a game they sent me to some game between a bunch a couple of teams that were like you know four and four and i sat there at one point I looked up to the press box and I said, who has a stat? <laughs> and the guy goes, yeah, no. And, then, and that was it. And <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. It's <laughs> not as fun as I remember.
1: I can see why um, older uh, reporters get tired of pro beats because the egos and the people that you deal with and the, just the, the, the crap sometimes they have to put up with and you want to go back to those, um, those more innocent days. Um, but at that time I was 30. I felt like you know, I was, I had reached the ceiling of my career at, um, at that particular position and I wasn't going anywhere. So I, I, I equate high schools as it was a good time, but I, sh- I should have grown out of that a, a while ago.
0: Right. Um, I want to say a final thing. You sent me a story, Washington Post, January 19th. How Lance Stevenson, a brash Brooklyn streetball legend, found a home in humble Hoosier country. Uh it was really, really good. I find Lance Stevenson the most annoying player in the NBA, as I think (laughs) do. But I'm also intrigued by him. When I read this story, I kept thinking how Indiana the weirdness of Indiana, a place I've spent a fair amount of time. And it almost reminded me a little bit of growing up in my little hometown, which was very white and very conservative. And we probably I think I had two African American kids in my class. (laughs) And you would actually hear like white kids refer to them as I remember the saying, it was horrible. The kids would be like, they're a good end and they're a bad end. And these two, they're, they're good end. Like we (laughs) accept them because they're among us and they're okay. You know? And that's an extreme sort of look at Lance Stevenson in Indianapolis. But I feel like here's a guy who, if you were not a basketball player who loved Indiana, wouldn't be accepted the way he's being accepted. Precisely. Correct. And that's kind of what I read in your story without you saying that, without you using a blunt instrument to hit me over the head with it. I don't know. How did you sort of want to navigate this story when you went into it?
1: Um, initially, I, I wanted it to be bigger. My editor and myself uh, thought that we should look at African-American athletes who are popular in big Trump country areas. So I was going to um, look at Rudy Gor- Rudy Gorbear, um, But then you start thinking, well, shoot, Carmelo Malone was huge in Utah for uh, almost two decades so they have no problem with accepting uh, a player like that but lance uh, yeah lance is just uh, i don't understand i don't get it other than right. that they really love basketball in indiana and they will look past what they would deem as things that are not um very indiana like he he's very brash and when you watch him when he's not on your team i think yeah, he got booed mercilessly when he, um, when he came back for the first time. So people tend to forget that, that mm-hmm. all his antics, that they'll like, Oh, you're not one of us anymore. So we'll believe. you. But I, I wanted to just show the, I guess the irony that, and, and let's face it, he's very New York. He's very urban and he's very himself when he, when he wants to be. And I, I wanted to explore, um, and I asked him this question and he, he is, he is, he is bright and he just would not go there. But I, I wanted to ask him, do you feel like you have to mute your blackness? You have to mute your, um, opinions where, where you work and play. And he, he just, he, you know, I tried to go a certain different directions with that, with that question, sharp enough to know that he didn't want to rock the cradle there and right. uh, answer that. And it's like, if the story's not there, then I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to try to manufacture a story. But I was just, my, my curiosity, what has always been, even when I was covering the Pacers, why does Andy and frickin' governor Mike Pence, I mean, yeah, Mike Pence was a governor there and probably would have won reelection if he had not been, um, and not been tabbed as vice president. Right. So they, they have their liberal pockets, but they are red. Um, and I just was always curious, how does he work? And I, the answer I hope was, um, they love their Hoosiers. And believe it or not, Lance is the Hoosiers of Hoosiers um, when it comes to basketball.
0: It's really funny seeing the picture of him with the accompanying your story, which is him in a hickory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> with, I think with his tongue out, too.
0: Yeah, with his tongue out. It's so funny. It's so funny. I, I think uh, highly G- entertaining. Oh, yeah, of course. Gene Hackman would have had that guy off the team in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no way Gene Hackman goes to go the <laughs> antique. Well listen uh, Candice, I um, this has been great I'm again seriously a huge huge admirer of your work and um, I just appreciate you doing this I really do.
1: Well it's um, I know when when you first reached out to me you you joked with, uh, you, are you ready for your dreams to come true or something along those lines but Jeff this it's really been an honor and it's great to be considered um, a writer. Um, uh, um, and that's something I really want to do and I just really a- appreciate your, your time that you've given me and I respect you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. I want to thank today's guest Candace Buckner for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Candace on Twitter at Candice D. Buckner and read her stuff at the Washington Post. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Riders Slinging Yang on iTunes and Google Play, and your views are always appreciated. Music is by the excellent MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.